Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Oh, hi. Sorry, I'm a few minutes late. <laughs> I just blew in the door. Uh, hi. It's, uh, what the hell is it? It's uh, February 13th. It's a Thursday. And, and, and now you'll, you'll forgive me as I sort of unpack. Okay. Uh, oh, well, that was a first. You know, since we've relocated, it's been real easy getting down here, but I, something screwed up today. Okay, enough. Uh, let me just get the email up here, and we'll be all set. I guess I should actually tell you um, that since the show is only Monday through Thursday these days, um, I um, I need to tell you since this is my last day this week that I will not be here on Monday. Uh, so next week's a short short week. Sorry about that, but um, I have to uh, be traveling. Um, so, good God. Okay. Um, what do I want to talk to you about? There's, a, there's depressing stuff. <laughs> do you want the depressing stuff? Well, sort of like all we got these days. Let's see what I got. That's depressing. This is depressing. That's depressing. And that's depressing. This is depressing. Damn. That's depressing, and this is depressing. Let me see. I'm not down at the bottom of my pile yet. That's depressing. Uh, um, uh, yeah, depressing. Uh, sorry. God. So, I don't know, guys. Okay, here's, let's just start. Let's start with uh, Gail Collins, a uh, columnist for the New York Times uh, today. Um, and she, like so many others, including most of us, trying to parse, trying to figure out who's the most winnable nominee for the Democrats to put up against uh, Donald Trump. And, uh, and most people who are uh, fretting about this, um, admit that none of us know anymore, that everything has changed, there is no normal, there's not even a new normal. Um, well, there is as regards the White House, although that just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. So I have uh, before me two um, opinion writers and both of them doing the same thing. Hey, hey, what if, on the other hand, yada, yada, this and that. And I just want to share some of what um, they say. I don't necessarily agree or disagree. I'm in that state where anything that is well written <laughs> usually gets me for the moment. That's absolutely right, I say until I bump into some other well-written uh, screed and say, huh, 
You know, that makes a lot of sense. And so we're stuck in this neither here nor there. Um, although, and because things are so unsettled, um, it, is, it is extremely difficult not to be unsettled oneself. Let's start with uh, Gail Collins. And she conjures up a uh, mythical figure. She calls him Ralph, Ralph in Michigan. And she identifies Ralph as not crazy, not a racist, just an average guy who couldn't stand Hillary. And he had voted for Obama twice, but he then went and voted for Trump because, you know, he liked his, his spunkiness. Don't be screaming at me, I'm just saying. And she posits that the Democrats cannot win if they don't have somebody who appeals uh, to Ralph who's quite willing to vote uh, for a Democrat, um, maybe even a little queasy about uh, all the chaos and uh, drama uh, in the White House, and uh, who would be the best person. And I have to tell you, she, she comes up with nobody. <laughs> she, as she meanders through this, you can, you can feel her angst. She points out that and I hadn't thought of it this way. Biden, poor Joe Biden, Biden has now run for the nomination uh, for president, so essentially run for president three times in his life. And she points this out. In all those three times, Joe Biden never came in first in a primary and that record still holding making it even more extraordinary Joe Biden never came in second in a Democratic primary even though he ran three times and just to add a little salt to the wound Joe Biden never came in third so these abysmal showings uh, in this season's primary uh, races is par for the course for Joe Biden. And this electability argument <laughs> for him was a fantasy. A fantasy. So he's gone. He's toast. I'm assuming. I don't know, but I'm assuming. And she points out how the oldest guy that we could nominate, he's almost 80 years old. That'd be, yes, the youngin's darling, grumpy old Bernie Sanders. He's 78. Young Democrats love him. They love this guy. And in fact, you see that in 
who voted for him, both in Iowa and in New Hampshire. But as for older people, even older people who are much younger than he is, so youngins to him, but older to young people, people like in their 50s, 60s, 70s, they didn't vote for him. And they don't. Let me see. He only got 14% of voters over the age of 65. Okay, but let us recall. So there's this trade-off that we hear that young people energized by Bernie's message will come out to the polls. So again, all things are not as they ever were. And this idea that young people don't vote, that will go up in flames if Bernie heads the ticket, because they will come out. But all of those old Democrats who, I don't know, will they or will that a Bernie at the head of the ticket depress the older folks? Buttigieg, he also appeals to old voters. <laughs> he reminds them of their grandson, I think. Uh, and, and for a lot of old people, as I said yesterday, I know Bernie Sanders. I mean, I just know him because I'm in my 70s. I'm uh, a lefty kind of Jew. Um, I know this guy. Uh, he just reminds me of just too many people I've known, and I don't particularly like him. And that comes mostly as a woman. I kid you not, okay? Anyway, Bernie, uh, according to Gail uh, Collins, Bernie reminds older voters um, of the guy that's always at the coffee shop who never will treat anybody and won't stop complaining about the weather. Which the Bernie grumpiness and shouting factor I think is also something that you need to factor into why some people just are don't like the guy. Um, so she doesn't know. And she comes down to this now that the dream is over for people like Andrew Yang and Michael Bennett, we are down to just eight contenders. And then she says, civics quiz, name them. And I didn't, I thought, huh. But I was too busy. Re let's, I, there's eight left. I wonder, you know, Deval Pat Patrick, signed off um, and maybe she wrote this before that so I'm going to say there's seven seven left okay can you name them there's Bernie there's Buttigieg there's still Warren there's Klobuchar there's Biden that's five there is Steyer there is Bloomberg That's seven. Is that who we got? I think. If I'm not thinking of somebody, let me know. Um, it, and all the, oh, eight would be uh, Tulsi Gabbard. She's still in. So that is eight. Okay. Um, and I don't know. 
Ay, ay, ay. Here's a letter to the editor that should send chills down your spine. He, uh, the uh, writer who's from Hamden, Connecticut, uh, recalls the novelist Joseph Heller, uh, he of Catch-22, and he says this, the Democrats may well face a Catch-22, a lose-lose situation. And he posits this, Let's say Bernie Sanders has the most delegates by June, but not a majority of the delegates. And there are others behind him who have uh, delegates as well, but Bernie's out in front. This guy says, okay, so he gets nominated, and in fact Donald Trump wins. Uh... Here's another thing that happens. If candidates were to combine their delegates, uh, even though Bernie has more, if they start horse trading in smoke-filled rooms and nominate one of the people, a Buttigieg or a Klobuchar, um, other than Bernie, even though he had more, not enough, but more delegates, the cry of betrayal by Bernie supporters would be huge and they'd go home and take their marbles with them and wouldn't vote and Trump would be re-elected. That's how this guy sees it. He doesn't see Bernie winning, beating Trump and it, for people who don't see Bernie beating Trump, it's uh, it's a pretty frightening uh, scenario. Catch-22. Speaking of can Bernie do it, let's turn to the, um, the musings of uh, another op-ed writer, uh, Nicholas Kristof, who, who says whoever we have has got to have coattails because nobody who beats Trump can do a damn thing. No matter what Bernie says he'll do, if he gets in, he can't do nothing much in terms of what he's promising without a Congress behind him. In order to have a Congress behind him, we've got to, we've got to flip Republican Senate seats, hold all the Democratic Senate seats, we have to hold the House, and we only took the House back two years ago, and it was taken back by centrist candidates like Connor Lamb flipping red districts blue, and often by razor-thin margins, okay? So, in a nightmare scenario, if we pick the wrong candidate with no coattails, those people who won two years ago could be sent home after just one two-year term as their formerly red districts go back to red because they ain't voting for a socialist. Okay? Um, Christoph, you know, goes out of his way to praise um, 
to praise Bernie Sanders. And he acknowledges that as things stand now, he looks like the front runner to win the nomination. But among those who like, he says, among in the betting markets, and I don't know exactly which betting markets he's talking about, uh, Sanders is the leader to win the nomination. But Trump is favored to win re-election if Bernie is the Democrats. Now, I don't know if these betting markets know. Um, I w keep reminding myself that nobody knows anything anymore. Uh, Trump's job approval rating has reached a new high and in fact odds makers have significantly elevated his chances for re-election. So the big question is with Bernie Sanders at the head of the ticket, would Trump be more likely to win are more likely to lose. Here are the red flags that Kristoff sees. Sanders voters overwhelmingly say that they are drawn to Bernie because of his positions on the issues. They just love what he is saying. But, and here's the coattails thing, Bernie's proposals have almost zero chance of becoming law if the Senate isn't flipped to the Democrats. If there is to be any progress on issues such as health care or college affordability or uh, student student debt um, forgiveness or uh, God knows the appointment of judges. Um, it will only come if we flip a bunch of Republican Senate seats, I think four, right? Three or four and hold all our own. And if we hold the House. So it comes down to who at the head of the ticket will ensure that that can happen in the races be on the lower part of the ticket. Again, nobody knows, but we're all in a situation where we're desperately trying to parse it, to figure it out to the best of our ability with what information we have and with what gut feeling we have. So a candidate's positions, what they say they'll do, and I was saying this to Ryan yesterday, it doesn't mean anywhere near as much as whether or not they can bring a Democratic Congress in with them because none of what any of them are saying will be done if Mitch McConnell 
still heads the Senate. And nothing will get done if we lose all those marginal purple districts we picked up and put Nancy, which put Nancy Pelosi back in the House Speaker position. We won't get anywhere if we lose, if those seats flip back and we're left with some Republican as Speaker of the House. Can you imagine? Devin Nunez. And I'll quote Christoph. So, is Sanders electable? And can he help get the Senate back? And, like Gail Collins before him, Nicholas Kristof says, I don't know. He says, frankly, we have no idea. <clears throat> and we all tend to project electability on the candidates we like. Oh, sure, they can win. Larry Sabato, who, uh, you know, is one of the pundits and has been forever, says, look, um, we now know we're all terrible. Uh, amateurs like me, professionals like him, we are all terrible at predicting who is electable and who isn't. Um, back in 1980, which I certainly remember well, a lot of Democrats rejoiced when Ronald Reagan was uh, given the Republican nomination. I was one of them. We ain't going to elect this, uh, this what, B actor to <laughs> the presidency? Are you kidding me? Well, uh, yeah, he sure did get elected. And then in 2016, everybody agreed that the Republicans committed suicide by uh, nominating Donald Trump. We were wrong about that, too. So, how do we figure this out? And what Kristoff says is we all better uh, first bring a lot of humility <laughs> to the conversation and keep telling ourselves that anything we're saying, we don't know. We just don't know. Um, Christoph gives, uh, gives us some polling information that you might want to use to help figure in where you come down. Let's see. Latest Gallup polls find that 93% of women, of voters, now say they would vote for a woman. <laughs> well, isn't that nice? So there's still 7% out there who say, a woman? I would never. So you see, again, there is a handicap um, in, in not nominating a cis white male. That's a fact. Let's see. So 93% say they would be willing to vote for a, a woman. 96% say they would support a black candidate. And we do know that we've already managed to do that. 
um, 78, we're coming down here, 78% of voters say they would be willing to support a gay candidate. All those numbers are probably doable. There, a lot of people don't want to support anyone who's too old or too young, though, either. Although they probably would if that was the nominee. But Christoph points this out. There is just one label on a candidate that Americans still remain hostile to. They've moved on, you know, okay, I understand a qualified woman is fine, I get it, black president, we've had one, He's, he was fine, um, okay, I, I get that, gay, uh-huh, a little more queasiness there for some. The one that the numbers are scary is the same poll shows only 45%, fewer than half of Americans, say they would be willing to vote for a socialist for president. I don't know. Is that a red flag? Christoph goes on to say, you know, these are generic questions, and it's, it's possible that voters who say they would never vote for a gay person or a socialist when a specific gay person or a specific socialist comes to the fore, they might, uh, you know, change their, their minds. But Christoph says, but, you know, I just keep thinking of, like, the recent election in Great Britain where British voters who do seem to mirror American voters quite often, that British voters were willing to vote for an awful Trump-like candidate, Boris Johnson, rather than a socialist. And Great Britain does not have as much queasiness about socialists. I will just say that Nicholas Kristof ends his column um, in a way that a lot of people are starting to lean. He says, in the end, Amy Klobuchar might be the strongest Democratic nominee in terms of coattails, in terms of swing states, in terms of that Ralph in Michigan, former Obama, former Trump voter, Klobuchar might be the person, uh, which I don't know, and neither do you. Okay, take a call. Hello. Hey, is it me? I'm on? Yes, you're on. Okay, I have one good piece of news that you could talk about, and okay. I don't hear anybody mentioning anything about this. This is not any, I think it should be the headline that voter turnout in New Hampshire for the Democratic primary was record-breaking. 
Okay, that right? is good. That's good. Why does no? Why does nobody? Everybody, it's this scare tactic. Oh, we can't vote a socialist. This that. What What is really sort of like just salient to me is that this is like sort of important news, right? Well, Trump people should be scared. Yeah, they pe- should all be scared, but nobody's talking about that. Yeah, I mean, people did come out. I mean, more of all those they people did. that came out, the the majority voted not for the socialists. Yeah, but they voted. They voted. And I think this I agree. is good news, and I we agree. have to talk about this and, you know, worrying about, you know, Democrats in those red areas like a lamb, blah, blah, blah. Democrats came out and voted. And what happened in 16 is the last real record we have of where the population is. Yeah. Right? Everybody can speculate, speculate. But we have actual factual data, not polls, of what the American people wanted two years ago. Right? Yeah. And it was sweeping. Yeah. Now we have one little bit after the Iowa. Okay, we have a little New Hampshire. This is showing again a trend, but it's like this fear mongering, which just I think the media wants that. We're all well, we're all part of that. Yeah, the media wants it, but show, also you know? but also we 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 are all anxious as heck, and we would be anxious without the media, because um, we aren't sure. Who's the who's the one that can ensure that Donald Trump uh, is sent packing? It's unknown. And another scary thing, and I thank Barbara for sending this to me, is the latest Gallup poll showed that six in ten Americans say they are better off now than they were three years ago. And that's that classic question uh, that always helps an incumbent. If people feel that they're better off than they were three years ago, they tend to stay with what they got. Um, that's scary uh, to me as well. But I hear you. And yeah, I, but those same people, those same people know the world. And you talked about everything has changed. Yeah. Those same Trump voters, family members that I even know, you know, that are upset that they can't watch TV anymore because, like any of the late night shows. Because they see everything as huge. They understand. They may be doing financially well, but they sort of know something is so off in the country, right? Yeah. I don't know how that's going to play in. But yeah. they, you know, even those that, that their, you know, their portfolios are doing fine, um, they know something is wrong. Well. And that will <laughs> be very interesting. Yeah. To see how, and I think there's where we rely on women, right, who understand and whose kids are, if they have kids, being educated and watching the president saying bullshit on TV. You know, I mean, it's just the whole cultural values. It's, I don't know. But I wanted I to you. point out there was good news. And Thank I think you. somebody should talk about the good news. Thank you. <laughs> God knows it slips my mind because I am such a depressed pessimist but thank you for that you're right good news hey, i have one more thing you know what that wonderful young man that you have from the city paper uh-huh i would love to know also about polls you know because again that's all we're talking about today is polls polls say well, this, polls say that i don't and think I he's to many people i don't know anybody who's ever been polled i've been right? polled. it's almost like who are they polling i've been polled i was um in a telephone poll once uh i think it was a landline yeah. 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 See, everything is. So it's who old people. Has landlines left. Yeah. Well, right? I don't it's, anymore. It's yeah. Probably people over the age of fifty. Right. Um. So no, you're right. Know. The polls. And, yeah. Right. The so the polls. I, I I agree. 
we're, we're skeptical now of everything, which uh, makes us, again, anxious. Listen, I got another caller. Well, that's something I'd love to do research on. Or okay. See, I may go to the Internet when I have time today. Like, well, you go do research? that. How valid are these polls? <laughs> who, who? Okay, it depends. I mean, yeah, 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 exactly. Companies. It depends on the poll, pollster. It depends on the questions. It depends on how big the sample is. All that kind of stuff. I have not a clue. Um, but I do have another caller, so I'm, I, I have to okay. move on. I, Thank you. Appreciate your call and your good news. Um, caller, you there? Hi. Good morning. Hi. Hey, good morning, Lynn. Hi. Hey, hey uh, Lynn. Uh, he had depressed me severely with, his, with the, in the mood. He put me. I was I felt like I was playing a chess game where every move I made was a bad move, <laughs> according to politics. The one thing the bright hope is, and I think this could happen. Think about this. And this has been my candidate all along. The dark horse comes in. It's actually a white horse. It's Amy Klobuchar. Like you just mentioned before, before the before the caller, um, she could do it. She's moderate. She has experience, and she has knowledge. She has the presence to be the president. I mean, I think she has the whole package. What do you think, Lynn? Yeah, I, I, I do, you know, like her. I came upon uh, some information about her, um, some of her uh, policy stands that made me a little queasy. But, again, I sure. policy, I got to tell you, at some point, we just need to figure out who amongst these people is the one who can pull it off. I don't care what they're selling. <laughs> they're all sane. I, I agree. I, they're I all agree. sane as far I as agree, I can but tell. Did I scare me? I mean, I I like her. And, and, and I like her. She's good cause, because of, when you talk about Bernie, it scares me because everybody that I, that I I talk to, a lot of people, Mostly Republicans, and they get they 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 bring up a Bernie up or, or bring up some far left programs. It's not going to fly in this country. We're going to lose. I, 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 I don't want well, to. I'm fear... starting to get right like everybody else talking, but <laughs> because as I was just yesterday or at business meetings, I have to be quiet because everywhere I go in business, I'm a small businessman. Um, Everybody's Republican, so I and I want to do do my business. So I got to be quiet. I can't get involved with these. I remember years, I'll be real brief, years ago, about 10 years ago, I had an Obama sticker on the back of my car. Somebody saw it, one of the one of the workers or one of the people I was training had saw my bumper sticker. Oh, my God. It turned into a... Oh, God. Uh, embroiled mess. Yeah. And I can't, as a business owner, you've got to be neutral, completely neutral. Even if somebody, people say, well, you've got to speak your mind. No, you don't. Not at that time and place. No, you're not no, going to change his customer's no. mind. He's going to throw your ass out. Yeah. So you be quiet. You find some common God, ground you can agree with. Yeah. And bow out gracefully, well, but that'd be so tough. So we better keep right. Keep positive. Yeah. Don't don't get down. Don't like keep quiet about everything. Don't let. <laughs> keep <laughs> positive. Settles that. We we don't know. Like you said, we don't know how I, what's going to happen. Maybe right. Joe will boy himself up. Joe is the anti-Trump. No, but he's not. He's not Joe's very done. Right. He doesn't have the plans. Joe's done. But he's he's affable. But what? he's done. Don't say that, Lynn. Don't say that, Lynn. Okay, um, I I take it back. Don't say that. Please don't Joe's say that. Done. Please don't. You're getting okay, me I'm, mad now. Why okay, would you say I'm, that? 
He hasn't, did you hear me at the beginning? He's won for president three times. He has never won a single primary. He Some hasn't even come in second. Please, you're getting me upset. He hasn't come in third. He's just not a winner on this stage. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, whatever. Please, Lynn. Okay, stop, stop, stop okay. moaning in my ear. Uh, you're getting me okay. upset now again. I know. You're getting okay. me upset again. I know. I'm sorry. You're right. You could be right. I could oh, be right, and on the other hand, you could be there, right. Please. Okay, I'll. Pardon me. Well, I, I, yes. I don't know get, what to tell you. Get, let's let's yeah. yeah, let's go on to something good. Try to think of somebody call in with something positive, not something politics. Something okay. Nice. All right. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. Thanks, Lance. Bye. Jeez. Somebody's asking me, what do you think of Bloomberg's chances or appeal and appeal? I am very, listen, I am uh, at base negative because I saw somebody called him. He's the a political equivalent of, the, of, of uh, Geico. I mean, you can't turn anywhere without seeing one of his uh, ads. Um, he is putting, I mean, I don't like the fact that someone can not run the race everybody else has to run, but it can instead because he has billions of dollars he's willing to spend. Um, do what he's doing, and he is. He's turning heads. Um, with Biden slowing down, it is true that a lot of people are starting to look to Bloomberg. I hear it over and over that it could be his game plan is going to work. If Bloomberg is the nominee, I will move heaven and earth for Bloomberg uh, to get elected. But personally, personally, I don't want him. He's better than Donald Trump, quite a bit better than Donald Trump. But no. So, I, I don't know what to, to tell you. Here's slightly good news. Um, Wall Street Journal reporting that the number of work stoppages by workers and strikes uh, reached the highest level uh, this last year in 2019 uh, than it's been in decades. Um, and that shows that... Um, the labor movement is is starting to uh, rouse it itself. Um, just wanted to say, although mo most of these work stoppages and strikes were white collar, and uh, most of them were teachers. Chicago. Denver, Los Angeles, those were all, you know, pretty big teacher strikes. Uh, the blue-collar strike was uh, the strike against the UAW against General Motors, and that was a 40-day walkout by the workers, and boy, the company felt it. Um, it was the longest walkout at GM in a half a century, it crippled its uh, GM's manufacturing operations. When workers pull together, they can get the attention of the managers. 
and GM capitulated very quickly. Um, after suffering almost $4 billion in earnings as a result of a 40-day walkout by the people who make their products, um, GM gave new hires higher starting pay. Uh, they gave temporary workers a path to full-time uh, work and uh, employee health care contributions stayed at an incredibly low for these days, 3% uh, under the terms that ended the strikes. That was an extremely successful strike. I found this to be good news too. Um, the, again, a union the National Education Association, the NEA, and also the American Federation of Teachers, uh, the two largest uh, uh, teachers unions, um, have joined together and they are calling for the end of these unannounced active shooter drills in schools. I have said for a long time that these drills to me are a form of uh, child abuse. They terrorize children. We're talking about little kids, first graders, second, it doesn't matter. You're talking about a 15-year-old. And a lot of these districts have unannounced where somebody comes in and simulates and the kids don't know. I mean, it is, it's mind-blowing. So the teachers are now really starting to push back, saying they, you need to substantially revise or just totally eliminate uh, these drills because it screws up kids. Uh, the teachers recommend that schools just concentrate on training the teachers to respond and know how to respond and know how to take control of their classrooms rather than scaring the bejesus out of kids. I mean, I don't know. Has anyone done the odds? <laughs> They're growing. Of any child in America being in school when one of these horrors occurs, what are the odds? I would imagine they're still really, 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 really low, and I'm not sure the answer to it is to traumatize every student, give them fodder for nightmares for the rest of their lives. And we already know that children today suffer more anxiety than children have. Um, at least in the recent past. I mean, there. Well, there's that. There's that. There's this. There's that. What else I got here? Um, I'm trying, <laughs> trying desperately not to have something too terrible, but the, it's all pretty terrible. Uh, oh. This is just a sign. Did you see? I saw McClatchy Newspapers is filing for bankruptcy. That's 
Kevin McClatchy, who used to own uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's his family. Uh, McClatchy owns some really good newspapers, the Miami Herald. Just a whole bunch of the newspaper business, and I'm sitting here in a newspaper uh, newsroom, is really in terrible trouble. And that bodes ill for our democracy as well. But in the uh, commercial real estate section of the business section of the New York Times the other day, there was this page, a big article showing the former headquarters of storied newspapers and what they are now because they ain't making newspapers in them anymore. There's a picture of this huge building, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. That's Joseph Pulitzer's paper, a storied history. It is now, what is it? Uh, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch has dispatched itself to a much smaller space, as Pittsburgh City Paper has as well, a much smaller space, and put their big, huge building that held that newspaper for decades and decades and decades and decades, and it's now being uh, made into, I don't know, condos? Um, it is just one of at least 15 newspaper uh, buildings nationwide right now that have been sold in the last five years. As you know, here on the corner right near where I am, Boulevard of the Allies um, and whatever that street is, um, the Pittsburgh uh, Post-Gazette building. There's no newspaper in there anymore. That is an empty building. It has been sold. I forget what they say it's going to become. Probably, again, condos or something. The number of newsroom jobs in the United States has dropped by 25%. The LA Times, which is this beautiful Art Deco building, the LA Times isn't in there anymore. Uh, it now houses a grocery store and uh, over a thousand apartments. The Seattle Times, same thing. The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel because that paper, the largest paper in Wisconsin, um, they moved into um, a place that is one-tenth of the space that their iconic building is. The Miami Herald's uh, former headquarters uh, now hosts concerts and shows. It's just a sign of this, what technology has, has brought us, the kinds of change, the loss of jobs, the loss of um, 
respected uh, information purveyors who were local and trusted, all of this is, well, not good. I'm so sorry I don't have happy stuff. I mean, I can't, what do I have here? I don't have anything. There's nothing here that's happy. None of you have sent me happy. So um, this is what I'm, uh, I'm left with. There was an um, editorial a few days back um, that caught my eye because um, I, I don't know if you saw the article that, you, you remember the Equifax hack Equifax, one of those data-gathering businesses that know more about you than you know, and they take that information and sell it. It turns out that that hack and a whole bunch of other hacks were done by the Chinese army. Did you see that? The fact is is that uh, the Justice Department, while not... Uh, moving heaven and earth to protect Donald Trump and his uh, crony crooks, um, did charge four members. how they figure out which members of you? Might imagine how many mem members are in the Chinese uh, People's Liberation Army. <laughs> they, f they ferreted out four uh, and said they were responsible for the 2017 Equifax hack that resulted in the theft of um, all personal information on almost half of all Americans. So the Chinese army has um, your credit card stuff, your social security, your health records, it's got it all. Um, and it turns out that this effort by the Chinese to pull in as much data on all of us as possible. You know, we, we hear about how the uh, Chinese are setting up this massive surveillance state in China uh, where through facial recognition, I mean people, all those billions of Chinese people are monitored where they go, who they see, what they buy. But that's not enough for the Chinese. They want to know about you as well. Um, and the New York Times asked this question. Using the personal data of millions of Americans, including us, without our consent and against our will is alarming yeah but they ask what's the difference though between the Chinese government stealing all that information and a data broker like Equifax amassing the same information without our consent and using it to enrich themselves, selling our data on the open market. What's the difference? One gets charged uh, by the Justice Department and the other is business. Just American capitalism business, selling our data. Both 
the Chinese and Equifax data gatherer. They are both predatory practices intended to invade our privacy. And so they can get insight, gain leverage. They might be looking for slightly different things. One is corporate and legal, and the other is geopolitical and not legal. And so the New York Times says Equifax is not the victim here. Um, you're the victim. Um, and apparently it was a largely preventable hack. They just don't spend the money to secure all that information they have on us. The New York Times editorial says, hacked and bloated data brokers like Equifax present an untenable risk to our personal and national security. We just take another clear-eyed look at what they do and what they failed to do. It's not unreasonable, the time says, to now ask ourselves, does China now know as much about you as our own government does? And then they say, why would China want to know about you? Well, why do you rob a bank? Because that's where the money is. Why do you hack a data broker? Because that's where the information is. But a bank at least has its vaults full of money that we willingly give to the bank to secure for us. Equifax's vaults, which weren't guarded very well, are filled with information that you never agreed to give them. And that information they have creates profiles on all of us that can be used to deny us uh, a loan or insurance, whatever. It dictates the, uh, the outcome of all kinds of major events in our lives, where we can live, uh, even potentially our health. Finally, this from the New York Times, setting aside Equifax's long, sordid history of privacy concerns and its refusal to let Americans know or opt out. You are not allowed to opt out of this collection. The very existence of such information stored by private companies with little oversight is a risk to us personally and to our national security Equifax should be as illegal as the Chinese People's Liberation Army gathering up that information.
Henry wants to remind us all. Uh, if we learned anything in 2016, polls mean nothing. That said, here is an excerpt from the latest Quinnipiac poll on Trump versus the Democrats. It suggests that Buttigieg has, it's, that Buttigieg is the weaker candidate and Bloomberg the strongest. Okay, so here's, among all registered voters, Democratic candidates lead President Trump in general election matchups by between four and nine percentage points, with Bloomberg claiming the biggest numerical lead against Trump. Bloomberg tops Trump 51 to 42 percent. Sanders also 41, I mean 51 to 43. Biden 50 to 43. But he can't even come in more than fifth in a... Klobuchar defeats Trump 49 to 43. Buttigieg is also ahead, as is Warren. They all are. Um, I don't know. Also, this is uh, based on a pop, the popular vote, which, as we know, means nothing either, says Henry. So, right. Take all the polls, take this kind of information, and pfft, don't trouble your pretty little heads with it. Okay. So, I think that's pretty much it. Sorry I was uh, late. Oh, here's a little item from the New York Times today. Pennsylvania has the highest rate of early death from combustion-related air pollution in the country. We're number one. We're number one. I'm so proud. Yeah, those of us in Pennsylvania have a higher chance of dying prematurely because of air pollution. Yes! Yes! Pennsylvania proud. Okay, was that good news? No, I don't think that qualified. All right, guys, um, I'm done for uh, this week. And as I said, I will not be here on Monday. I'll be flying back into town on Monday. Um, so, um, And I won't be wearing a mask. I will risk my life. Okay? I'll see you Tuesday. And I look forward to it. Have a good weekend. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.